welcome to Speaking of College. Welcome, it's your source for reliable knowledge. Oh, yeah. We got Dr. P as your host. As your host. We gon' tell you what you need to know. Need to know. Need to know. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you grow. The more you know, the more you grow. Grow. Get more knowledge. Knowledge. Welcome to Speaking of College. Speaking of College. Yeah. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and today's episode is about the types of student support services that are available at most colleges. My guest, Dr. Sabrina Sanders, and I will talk about specific resources and how you can get access. During the break, I'll tell you about an option for studying abroad without leaving home, and I'll wrap up the episode with a question about how to find an internship. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and if you're wondering about how you can get extra help navigating your college experience, this is the episode for you. College students have to manage all types of needs, such as their financial needs, academic needs, social needs, and health and well-being needs, to name a few. So I'm glad to have my friend Dr. Sabrina Sanders with me today to talk about some of the resources that are available to help you on your college journey. Dr. Sanders is part of the team that supports the Graduation Initiative 2025 for the California State University Office of the Chancellor. Graduation Initiative 2025 aims to improve degree completion and eliminate equity gaps for underrepresented and low-income students. Sabrina has extensive knowledge of what students need to be successful, as she served as an adjunct faculty member in the College of Education at California State University, Long Beach. She also mentors a number of college students and young professionals in higher education. Prior to her current position, she served as the Dean of Student Affairs at Long Beach City College, where she provided leadership for student health and psychological services, international student programs, student life, the Women's Center, associated student government, and she served as the Student Conduct Administrator. Sabrina also has expertise related to equity programs, assessment, leadership development, athletic academic support services, student government, Title IX, and admissions. Sabrina is also actively involved in her community, She served as a district captain for the 9th District City of Long Beach, was on the 52nd Assembly District Citizen Advisory Board, and was a delegate to the 2012 Democratic National Convention for President Barack Obama. She currently serves as a commissioner on the Long Beach Community Investment Company and the Port of Long Beach Community Grants Program Advisory Committee, both as appointments by the mayor of Long Beach. Dr. Sanders was awarded the Long Beach Post 40 Under 40 Award, the Woman of Distinction Award from Senator Ricardo Lara, and the State of California Woman of the Year by Speaker of the Assembly, Anthony Rendon. Sabrina is committed to education being the key for opportunities for our families, our community, and our society. Sabrina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Parnell. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, first things first, Sabrina, I've known you for years now, and it was not until I saw your full bio that I knew you were doing all of this stuff. And so I have to say, thank you for making the time. Are you sure you still have time for this conversation? I always have time when it comes to speaking about education. All right. Well, we got a good conversation, and I have to start off with the same first question that I ask everybody. So think back in time, uh, back to when you first had to make a decision about college. Where did you decide to start your college journey? And tell us some of the factors that influenced your decision to go there. You know, I, um, I grew up in a rural community, so there's a, a community college there, and then there's a satellite campus of San Diego State um, in Calexico. So I wasn't really, didn't have a lot of um, uh, uh, 
views and my perceptions of what other op opportunities that were out there. Um, and I didn't, I knew that our family would be limited in being able to pay for uh, uh, college. So financial aid wasn't something I learned about until um, later in high school. Um, so my initial goal was to go to West Point. Um, I thought in order to get this com computer science degree um, or, you know, at that time we had career centers in our high school and I looked at what made the most money and it was computer science or business. And so um, I had to study one of those and it would require going to college. Um, and I wanted to go away, um, leave, leave my community and, and have an opportunity. And so I thought I was gonna go to West Point and that's what was gonna pay for my college. But anyways, I had some health issues. So I unfortunately couldn't um, join the military. Um, so I applied uh, through a program, California Student uh, Outreach and Opportunity Program, CalSOAP, that had uh, counselors in the high school that reached out and sat with um, first-generation, low-income, underrepresented students um, and talked to us about going to college. And I attend, uh, was admitted to a, a university that I arrived to um, the first day of orientation I had never visited. Um, I wasn't real familiar with it. I know that they had business and, and computer science degree. Um, and I went to the orientation um, and I didn't see anybody that looked like me. I didn't feel comfortable. I was quite overwhelmed leaving my rural community and going to this university that had more students than my own hometown. Um, so I ended up going back home um, right after orientation. And then I showed up to the first day of school at my community college in my hometown, Imperial Valley College, and um, was taken care of from day one um, by a counselor, Sergio Lopez, at the time. And this is standing in lines with all the other students that maybe didn't necessarily have a plan and hadn't gone to orientation, and didn't do the assessment testing and had their transcripts sent over, any of those things. So everything just worked out magically. Um, I went to Imperial Valley College, studied business administration, um, had my counselor, Sergio Lopez, for two years. Um, they had the college fair at the community college, um, the loan table um, that had somebody that looked like me um, uh, was a gentleman named um, Michael Michael Johnson, I believe. And he was an outreach counselor from California State University, San Marcos. Um, he helped me with my application. I was admitted to Cal State San Marcos, which was one of the, the newest California State Universities at the time. Um, Again, uh, it was a, a brand new campus, 1,200 students. Um, mm -hmm. It was just juniors and seniors. Um, so I, I joined the, the ranks of a student at California State University, San Marcos, one of the first students on the, in their, their starting campus. Um, had a wonderful experience uh, as, a, as an undergrad there. Um, had an, uh, was, finances were kind of tough. Um, so I was applying for scholarships and I'll type uh, working two jobs while on campus. And I applied for this program called the NASPA Undergraduate Fellowship Program. Because things were really tough. So I was applying for every type of uh, financial opportunity I had. And mm -hmm. I would have ongoing meetings with my, my uh, mentor, Sandra Kukler, who was the Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. And I was too shy to ask her about when I was gonna get that check um, for the fellowship program. Um, and I learned the fellowship didn't necessarily come with money. <laughs> But what I did get out of it was a mentor, an introduction to this career called student affairs, um, opportunities to go to these regional and national conferences that exposed me to this career 
and higher education and just found my journey and my calling um, as a student assistant on campus, uh, working in higher education. I continued on my degree towards a, a business, a bachelor's in business, and left higher education, uh, graduated, went into corporate world. It was not a good fit. And so I came back to higher ed and I've been working in higher ed uh, uh, for the last 27 years. So that was my journey. Um, some errors, some some things that I thought were going to be perfect and some things that I, I learned along the way. Sabrina, after this show, and I hate to say this, the part not recording, so others who might be interested, we got to talk um, because your journey reminds me a lot of mine and reasons why you chose business, similar to the reasons why I chose business. I too went to corporate America, wasn't the right fit and kind of stumbled into student affairs as a focus area. And uh, I did not know that. Of course, how would I have known that as part of your story? Um, you, you did mention two distinct names, and I don't know that the average person can go that far back to name like two people people who are really, really influential in their journey. But I think of this podcast as having that same type of effect and that, you know, someone who's trying to go to college for the first time and doesn't have uh, a contact person. They don't have somebody that can call and just basically say, what should I do and when? I'm hoping that these conversations I have are going to fill in a little bit of that gap so they can say, at least I know where to get started. And so there's so much in that story. Thank you for sharing uh, that with us. And um, also for the the plug for the uh, NASPAR Undergraduate Fellows Program, it's still going. And sometimes they have reunions about every year for all the people who were um, once fellows and it's a great network now and I think the original dream for it has still continued to blossom so I'm over here smiling they can't they can't really see me smiling but I'm really smiling this is just yeah I'm so glad I asked this question so all right so I got a lot of things I want to talk about in terms of taking advantage of campus resources and programs and services but when I read your bio I said that you worked in the office of the chancellor and also that you work for a state system so you and I know what a state system is but for the average everyday person who's not following following college that closely, what's the system and how does it work and what does it do? Yeah, so a lot of, you know, a lot of states have their public university, you know, supported by the taxpayers to serve the communities that they are in, um, whether it's your foreign university or community colleges, and oftentimes there's a home base. And so some uh, may be, there may be a commission um, of the system, uh, maybe a chancellor, maybe um, a president. So in California, the California State Universities, we have 23 universities all the way down south, San Diego State University up to the north, Humboldt State um, University. So 23 universities, 480,000 students, um, 47,000 faculty and staff, um, over three and a half million alumni um, across the world are California State University grads, alums. So the headquarters, the home base, um, that supports these 23 public California state universities is the chancellor's office. So funding, policy, practices, um, supporting and, and um, the 23 universities is, is off the chancellor. It's located in Long Beach, California. And um, I work, I have the privilege and the honor to support our 23 campuses at the chancellor's office for the California state university. Okay, so now that we've set the stage, we've talked about where you started your college journey. We've talked a little bit about where you work. I think it's safe to say between all of what you shared so far and your bio and all the years of experience that if I give you this next softball question, I think you can pretty much answer it. Uh, for those who don't know, going to college for the first time, want to figure out where to get started. 
what I do know is that most campuses have a ton of resources, lots of programs, lots of services. Tell us about some of those things. What are some of the things that students can take advantage of when they're there that are designed to help them wherever they are on their college journey? What are some of those things? Part of my story is I didn't know where to start, right? There was some happenstances. I thought I had all the right answers and it didn't end up to be what I had planned. And I think that's okay. And I want I like to share that because that um, sometimes we get overwhelmed and anxious and in the sense of, you know, you don't want to make a mistake. It's, it's going to be okay. You're going to turn out right. Um, and I think it's, it, I want to acknowledge that. Um, I also acknowledge these folks and these mentors and advisors that really um, stepped up because there's a whole lot of amazing faculty and staff that are there to support you along your college career. And it may be the Sergio uh, Lopez, the counselors and the TRIO programs in the Counseling Center. It may be the Michael uh, Johnsons that are doing outreach out at high schools and the, and the elementary schools there talk, talking about college or at the community colleges. It may be the Sandra Kuklers um, that are in the administration office and, and making the decisions on behalf of the institution, um, but so eager to help guide and advise. And I think that's part of where I see my role as a higher education professional as well. And so, you know, the college career, the college plan starts back as early as kindergarten, right? Where you're that pipeline. Um, and you'll see a lot of college outreach programs and visiting campuses and, and um, you know, there's nothing better than um, a family coming on a college campus for any community event or a sports event or a theater or a play or, or open house because all those opportunities just introduce um, a student, a young person, the family to what that college campus environment is about because that is there to serve the community. That is there because that's our, our uh, post-secondary educational opportunity, whether it's for careers, uh, whether it's for a self um, uh, uh, reflection or personal development workshop, whether it's for associates, certificate, bachelor, master's or doctorate program. Those are there to serve our communities. And so um, being introduced to a college campus in any of those aspects um, is a first start. And then in California, we have what we call the A through G requirements. In order to attend University of California, California State University, there's a series of classes that you would have to take in college, I'm sorry, in high school, in order to be prepare you and have the basis and be able to uh, be admitted. And we also require the SAT or AC, uh, ACT score, mm -hmm. although that's been pulled, put on hold because of the pandemic um, this past year. And that's being visited by a number of institutions about um, uh, the admissions process. Um, and in high school, there's a lot of college readiness programs and clubs and organizations um, and career centers and counselors that help support high school. So there's all these different aspects that you know students can do now that introduce them to the college experience. Um, our students, uh, our prospective and incoming students, you know, starting from uh, these trio programs that are, are working with specifically in high schools um, and junior highs uh, with students that may be first generation or low income, um, their parents didn't go graduate from high school. There's these Saturday programs, there's these college visits days, these open houses that all give them a taste of what college is about, as well as the skills, resources um, to best be um, prepared uh, when they arrive on our college campuses. Um, our application is uh, starts October, goes through November 30th, um, and students apply to our universities through an online application. And when they fill up the application, they'll give us some demographic information. 
um, everything from the, maybe their ethnicity to if they identify as foster youth um, or homeless um, or first generation, um, what their majors or their career interest is. Um, and what happens is we have um, students that may have disabilities is we have programs that serve and support students with those different identities and different needs. Um, and those programs will start reaching out to those prospective students when they identified that they may be in foster, uh, in foster, uh, foster youth or former foster youth or, um, or may in some type of guardianship, then we have foster youth programs at our 23 universities, uh, the Guardian Scholars, Renaissance Scholars. So those programs will start working, reaching out to those students and saying, hey, you know, we have some programs and services that we want to help you with, you know, this is the application we need, or this is a, a workshop, we can help you get your financial aid out, uh, completed. Um, so the students will start looking for those uh, invitations, whether it's email or mail, um, or phone calls from these programs, um, students that may have a disability, who may, there might be paperwork that we need um, from their high school to transfer with them or their community college, or we need them to fill out um, so this, the services for students with disability will start reaching out to those students. And early on, that way we can prepare those students and have all the paperwork needed and know who they are um, before they arrive on the first day of school. Because there might be special uh, programs and orientations and welcomes and social activities that we can start creating a community with those students. Um, so we want to make sure that students are aware that they're going to be reached out to maybe the Black um, African-American Faculty Staff Association or the clubs that are inviting them to a, a Black Student Weekend um, or Latino uh, clubs and organizations come together and they do an all-day um, event and they're welcoming students and their families to the, to the event on campus um, around a cultural heritage activity. And before they even get admitted to school, but really an opportunity to engage with the other Latino students or Southeast Asian students, or whatever identity or community that they may be a part of and start meeting students and faculty and staff and alumni before they even arrive to campus. So those are opportunities before they even arrive to campus to get connected, be welcomed, be greeted. Um, most campuses have what they call a, a welcome day um, or a view day. Um, and that's when um, you've applied to the university and a number of students might be applying to multiple schools. And so that's the opportunity to go get a taste test of what the campus culture is like, what the campus environment's like. Um, they'll put all their clubs and organizations and their resources um, out to view and you get to learn and, and, and have access to the staff and the students in those areas. And when you, before you make your decision, you're, you're doing a tour of the campus and learning more about the opportunities there on, on the campus. Um, orientations happen once once you've ad, uh, been admitted and you sent your letter of intent to register and you said, hey, I'm coming, I'm coming to University ABC. Um, and orientation is kind of the, the orientation, the, the onboarding, the introduction, the, the, the plan that you're going to lay out for your courses that you're going to be taking and, and what it means to meet with an advisor and making sure all your paperwork's in. Um, and so that happens oftentimes uh, and during the summertime and students will select their classes and cross their T's and dot their I's on making sure their financial aid packages has been completed in California. Um, March 2nd is a timeline that we ask students to get their FAFSA in, the free application for student financial aid. Um, and we'll be following up with those students to make sure we get them the package according to their, their needs 
Um, and the financial aid office will work specifically with the students on any additional paperwork that needs to be completed or submitted. Um, and then our, at, at those summer orientations, they'll, they'll give you more information about the resources on campus. And if you need additional resources or on-campus student employment, um, where to apply for financial aid, um, scholarships and, and other opportunities to help uh, subsidize the expenses of, of, of going to college. So um, our students arrive on our campuses. There's all kinds of programs and cohorts, like what they call learning communities. Um, students may be undecided or they may be an engineer student and a learning community is taking a group of classes together with students with a, the similar interests. Um, student athletes, they have learning communities for student athletes. And so in the orientation, um, you'll be introduced to those uh, type of opportunities and meet with your advisor. And there's a cohort or a learning community that might be interesting um, to students. And then you can go take the same classes, the same group of classes with the same students um, around different themes or, or interests or major careers. Um, and then there's the first week of, the first couple of weeks of school is always my favorite everything from all the, the welcome day activities and getting together with your clubs and organizations to the fun band playing out in the quad and um, the DJ playing in the, you know, outside with the free hot dog and um, festivities. And yeah. there's a lot of activities that just kind of create this real um, sense of community for our student population. So um, the opportunities are endless. Um, I always say, um, you know, the student that uh, goes after and asks questions and, and signs up for, you know, one or two opportunities outside the classroom and, and connects with, with the resources that they, they need. And um, if you were anything like me that, you know, feeling a little bit overwhelmed and, and disconnected when you're leaving home for the first time, um, there are resources in the counseling and psychological services for, for students that may need to talk about you know, why that, what, what that means to feel overwhelmed and, and need some additional resources or help or, um, and so that goes along with just asking questions and, and going on your website and, and saying, okay, feeling overwhelmed, where do I go? You know, and, and identifying what those resources may be. So yeah, a little taste test. Well, Sabrina, I had a follow-up question. Actually, I had two follow-up questions. You've already answered one of them, but I, there was so much in your answer. You know, you've touched on everything from disability services to workshops that might be available, pre-college stuff that might be available, um, orientation, all these things. My follow-up question was going to be, how do students find out about it? But you've also explained that in many cases, the, the college will reach out to the student proactively. But I do have the second follow-up question, which is that now that we know that all these resources are available, what about the costs? Are these things that college students typically have to pay for? Is included? Is it like a separate bill that they get? How does it work? Because I could imagine a student would say, yes, I actually do want to participate in some of these things, but it was hard enough to come up with the coins to be able to get in you know, with tuition and books and things like that. So how does it typically work to be a college student and want to take advantage of some of these other uh, resources as well? I mean, there's, um, there's, you know, how many thousands of universities across the country? So I don't know the answers for every university. Um, but for public education, and many of them are, are free. I mean, most of what I described are free. There might be additional, um, I mean, we have a program that's specifically uh, for students with autism on, on the spectrum, um, Asperger's spectrum, and there might be additional resources that they would like to access to, and it may cost an additional um, uh, fee. Um, and so every campus will, will may have, according to what the, the different type of resources, but most of the things I described 
um, with the exception of, you know, maybe orientation may come with meals um, and extra little goodies, and there might be expenses for, for those that are passed on to the student or family. And they, sometimes they can use their financial aid for, for those expenses. Um, so I don't have a, a, a blanket answer, but most of the things I described are, are resources that are provided to the students as part of just their whole onboarding, um, with the exception of when there was the extra, the meals and, and other expense uh, thing, giveaways. Yeah, I can I can supplement your answer and say uh, that even though you're in California, um, huge opportunity there for a lot of California students. If we're talking to, to each other and there's somebody in Michigan or Florida who's listening, is it is very common for most colleges to offer lots of the services the way that you just described. And there are a lot of different things um, you know that they can offer, some probably a little bit more, maybe some a little bit less. But I think we've made the case that there are lots of resources available to help students. I think we've also made the case that these are resources that are designed to help. And and um, if that's the case, what might be some of the reasons why a student might be hesitant? You know, I can imagine at first asking the question about the cost. That could be a reason. But let's say that's off the table and that's actually manageable. Um, in your experience, if you find that there are you know, groups of students who maybe are not as likely to um, take part in those resources, what are some of the reasons why? What are some of the hesitations? Yeah, I mean, I, I think sometimes I'm, we, we, we don't want to bother people, right? Or we may not want to admit that we're feeling anxious and worried or that we don't know where, where you know, where to start. Um, like this sense of showing a weakness. Um, we need to get past that. Um, I think about the student um, in the classroom that's raising their hand the most and standing in the front. Back in the day, I used to be like, okay, that's a nerd. You know, I don't, I don't want, and that was like a, a negative thing. Now, now I look at that, I was like, that's the student that's probably making the most money because they were most assertive in advocating and advocating and, and inquiring for themselves so that they could understand the concept, right? So if anything, be the nerd, be in, yeah. be in front, ask the questions, you know, advocate. Um, you deserve it, you earned it. Um, and you arrived to our college campus and it wasn't easy. Um, so we want you to be as successful, but we don't know what you need until you kind of let us know, right? So we're gonna put all these resources out there um, and not be too pushy or pushing them on, but we won't know until you kind of alert us. And we don't want to be alerted when it's late, when you come to us with maybe you're on academic probation or something is really, really heavy, we want to know beforehand. So I encourage you to be the nerd, to ask the questions, raise your hand, don't be shy, ask the, the Sergio Lopez's or the Michael jo Johnson's or the Dr. Kuklers, you know, where, where can I find this? Um, I, this is going on and, and I need some help with this. Um, you know, my finances are not making it to the end of the month. Can you help me with some uh, finding additional resources or budget management or whatever it may be? Yeah. Um, dealing with this challenge, you know, in this course, you know, where's the learning resources or tutoring center for this, for this class? Um, you know, I need some help. I think if anything, we should be empowered um, uh, to raise our hands, ask questions and, and, and seek out a support for ourselves. Yeah. Sabrina, you know, me being an eternal optimist, you, you got to know that I'm going to come back with a positive question after the break, because um, I certainly don't want to leave it out there as though there's all this um, reasons why people don't, because I want to persuade students that they should. But your answer is so personal to me, um, because in high, in high school, I was the nerd. I was the one who was responding to all the questions. But then when I got to college, I was the exact opposite. And one of the just most eye-opening things that happened was it was probably 
I think my third year in college, I was, you know, of course, a recipient of uh, federal financial aid. Uh, that's not uncommon. And that at certain points in the beginning of the semester, they would use that financial aid, the school would, to pay your bills. And then whatever's left over, they give to you in bulk in a net check. And so that's the net check that I would use to pay for rent and food and things like that. Well, for whatever reason, every so often, certain applications get flagged for additional review. And my application had gotten uh, flagged for that. And so let, I would typically receive that check in September, but September went by, October went by, November went by, and I still did not have the balance of that, you know, that check. Now, fortunately, my twin sister and I were roommates, and so she was covering a lot of the expenses, but I was at my wits end. I was like, I just don't understand what I need to do. And just by happenstance, I had a friend of a friend who said, you know, they have um, emergency loans they can give you, the, the emergency aid to help you. And I would never have known about it. I didn't even bother to call anybody in financial aid other than to complain about how I did not get that net check. But I didn't ask them if there were other resources available. And I'm thinking to myself, if I had just taken even half of that personality that I had in high school, I would have been pestering them like every day to figure out what something was going on. So your, your, your comments ring true for me. And I can imagine they would ring true for others, but it is hard. It's hard when you're going into a new environment and you don't know who to ask or what to ask, but that's why we have this show. So after we're going to go to the break and when we come back, I'm going to get your expertise. I gave you two softball questions, but I'm going to give you some harder questions after the break about what students can do to take advantage of resources. So we're going to go to the break and we'll come back with the ask the expert question. Have you ever considered studying or working in another country, but the timing wasn't quite right? If so, this might be a good time to ask if your college has any virtual options. For example, Washington State University has a virtual study abroad program and virtual internships in other countries. There are lots of things you could do to learn and work on projects in other countries that would not require you to leave home. If this sounds interesting to you, find out if your college has an Office of International Programs and start there. All right, Sabrina, so we're back. Are you ready for the Ask the Expert set of questions? Go for it. All right. So before the break, I asked you the question about why students might be hesitant to take advantage of certain services if we know they're really good. Let's say we've made the case that they should and they're ready to do it. You've mentioned some things they can do to take the first step. Raise a hand, ask a question, talk to somebody else. Um, is there anything else, anything else that might help a student get on their path to frequently and being more comfortable using services on campus? I think I think about like, you know, we go to the doctor once a year, right? You're supposed to go to the doctor once a year and kind of do that checkup thing, right? There's certain, you know, you're supposed to go to the dentist every year. Every, you know, you have these things that you should be doing. I encourage a student to go to an advisor once a semester. And number one, it could be just to do a recheck to make sure you're on that academic plan towards graduation or um, towards going to grad school or whatever their plan is. And number two, it could be like, okay, this is where I'm at. Where do you think I should be for some advisement or insight or touching bases on what their your plan is for the year? So um, reaching out to an advisor and that advisor doesn't necessarily always have to be, you know, you can identify if it's in your department, um, you know, for career advisement, academic advisement, um, if it's in the, the centralized advising center, um, you know, every campus has a, a different model, um, but kind of going back every semester and going back to the advisement plan. Um, and that advisement plan could surround, you know, am I taking the right classes to get to where I want to get? And for me, it was to graduate in four years with a bachelor's degree in, in business. Um, it was to uh, pay bills. So, you know, what type of employment opportunities um, to get me, you know, financially so I can make it from semester to semester and pay my rent and purchase books and financially covered my tuition thankfully um and then as i started getting closer to junior and senior i should have done 
earlier, but more intentional on um, what type of career um, plans do I have and what can I do now if it's an internship, if it's uh, belonging to the club, uh, business club, um, or going on a field trip with the business club to a corporation and, and um, being exposed to different types of businesses um, and going to business lectures um, through the business club or in the college of business. Um, and so um, or getting a job um, that might be related to the, the career interests or um, that I may be focused on. So, you know, much like going to the dentist or the doctor, um, do that check-in and academic uh, check-in with your advisor or your mentor, your guide every semester around some of those plans. And, you know, it makes some time for fun too. So, you know, belong to one club or organization, whether it's something that's uh, related to major, whether it's related to the identity or population that you participate in, or whether it's something that's fun and exciting and just brings you joy. Um, um, uh, or some of the activities that are, that are on campus that, are, that you could participate in. Um, so that's all kind of like that big uh, goal planning related to your, your college success. So um, that's something that I would encourage students to, to lay out for themselves. Mm-hmm. That is expert advice. I think you mix a lot together because some would go very tactical and you did offer some tactical advice on how to put it on the schedule, but the blend of classroom and outside the classroom. So the stuff you're responsible for doing for your major decisions around money and career and academic progress. But I like that you added the fun because I think that's part of it too. And there are resources for that as well. All right. So I got a harder question for you now. Hard because we are still in a pandemic. Hard because campus does not look like it used to and hard because students are probably still asking like, what do I do in this computer? completely virtual environment. I think it's especially relevant to California because a lot of Cal State University schools did do either completely virtual or mostly virtual, um, you know, college delivery for the last several months. So with that in mind, I know a lot of what we talked about kind of in, in one's head might have them envisioning a student on campus going in person to participate in a club or activity or to visit that counselor. But what advice do you offer or can you offer to students who are now still virtual and really actually do want to take advantage of some of the resources that we described? So are there certain types? Types of virtual support services that you would recommend, and how do students uh, take the first step to get involved? Yeah, so the, I mean, going going virtual, there has been some really great benefits. There's been a lot of challenges as well, um, but let me focus on the benefits. Um, I was I was speaking with a colleague uh, that is an executive director of a student the student center. So all their activities, the recreation, the wellness, the concerts on campus. And I was like, well, how, how's it going, you know, now that we don't have students on campus? And he shared with our programs are blowing up because students are finding a little bit more free time, right? They're not spending the time commuting to campus. Um, you know, they're home a little bit more. They're not, um, you know, they're more focused, at, you know, on, on the, using activities on, on the computer virtually. Um, they've had to... Uh, uh, reevaluate how they're providing their wellness programming and their recreation programming. So um, they're doing these workshops on a hiking Joshua tree and the student is has their pictures and, and their video that they've recorded from their trips and they're talking about safety and hiking these big rocks and going through, you know, and it might be not, not something you've ever been exposed to because you're not signing up for a Josh hiking Joshua tree because that's not necessarily a priority, but now you can step into this virtual program that a well-versed um, 
hiker is now providing for for the students at the university. Mm-hmm. The yoga classes before were limited to you know thirty students. Um, the fitness classes um, because of the facilities, and it was only some. They have yoga every day, and they're able to have hundreds of students. Um, and it's live um, programmed um, activities for the students at these at these universities. Um, the meditation and and so many other activities that may have been limited to participation now are a lot more open. Um, and I'm seeing um, some of our programs even take that next step of, of speakers that are national speakers where you couldn't afford to fly them from across mm-hmm. the country and host them. Um, and you know maybe they're a lot more expensive than the budget than the institution has. Well, but now they're collaborating with other institutions or they're able to provide these higher end alumni and, and other speakers that they, um, there's not the additional expense of travel and accommodations that may be involved. So there's been some really increased number of creative ways of, of innovating um, uh, the programming for students. And you know, in our students' world, these programs are also happening on Instagram and, and Twitter and Facebook and, and, and multiple use and recorded and made available post. So if you couldn't go to that, that activity before, it's now available online and you can be introduced to um, whatever that speech or that presentation or that yoga class or that virtual wellness program. So that's been really, really cool um, for students to have, the, have access to those things that they may not have had access before. Um, on the other hand, there's been a lot of um, challenges, right? We have students whose families have been affected by um, people who have been sick and, and struggling with, with COVID or have lost a loved one. Um, and that's really traumatic and, 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 um, and it's been really hard. So um, we're seeing students with increased number of you know, issues, challenges that they may be experiencing and, and heavy loads. Um, and I, I grew up in a, a small house with, with three bedrooms for a family of eight. And I had, I'm the oldest of six kids with four very active brothers. I couldn't imagine trying to learn in that house. I mean, yeah. was a lot going on, right? So um, when you don't even have a, a bedroom to yourself or even a bed, I mean, how do you get six kids to have a, a, a peaceful study environment? So, you know, how are our students creating healthy study spaces in, in creative ways. Um, and I remember my dissertation world, like I would sit in my car, <laughs> you know, for quiet space if, if the library was, was closed. Um, so, you know, that, that's a challenge as well as how our, how our students are, are um, managing with maybe limited space or a healthy uh, study space um, or challenges in their families with something that's, that they are struggling with the illness. Um, or financial economic challenges that folks may be dealing with. And there's resources on the campus to help with many of those things. So reaching out to the financial aid, if there's been a, a challenge um, financially for you, um, the psychological counseling center, the multicultural centers, or any of the, the resource centers that are specifically there um, to support our students and saying, hey, I'm going through it, you know, I need some help, or speaking to your teacher and saying, hey, you know, this is going on and I need an extension or I need some additional support or, or timeline. So um, again, you know, reaching out according to what may be going on, um, on and, and asking for support um, or where can I go to access those resources uh, according to that. So pro, some really great opportunities that have come out of it and then some challenges that we acknowledge and then um, trying to connect the students that are going through those challenges uh, to the resources that are in place, whether they're on campus or in the community. Mm-hmm. 
Sabrina, I think you, even though you and I are not in college right now, I don't think you're in college. Um, the way that you answer the question, it mirrors life almost for many people because you and I, you know, we're talking via Zoom. Um, but I also have been talking with more of my friends via Zoom because I can't see them in person, which is good because probably most of the friends that I'm communicating more with, um, I probably wouldn't have if it had not been that I brawl at home for the most part, not traveling anywhere. But on the flip side, I miss my friends. You know, I miss seeing people in person and that does weigh you down because we're in the middle of a pandemic and it is scary. And I don't want anybody to be um, listening to this and assume that because we've painted such a pretty picture of the resources available that we still don't have students who are very much struggling and under a lot of stress right now. So I'm really happy that you listed out the um, the counseling services. And I think one bright spot that can address both the challenges and the opportunities is uh, telehealth. And I know a lot of colleges struggled with uh, whether they were going to be able to give students who normally would be in person seeing a counselor, maybe they left the state to go back home, that same counselor access. And so I'm happy that there's been some recent policy movements to let students be able to stay with their counselor across state lines. So um, a lot in your answer. Uh, I think that 20 plus years of experience is, is, is shining through now. So I have one more Ask the Expert question before we get to the last question, my favorite backpack question. And this one is not asking you to think about the fullness of the student affairs suite of services and pick your favorite, but instead think about all of what's available to students and maybe offer up one that most students don't necessarily take advantage of, but you wish more did. And so that's not to say that it would be better than all the others, but if more students would just think about taking advantage of insert service or program, uh, it would be great for them. What would that program or service be? You know, something that I think um, stood out for me was the out of the classroom experience when it came to serving the community. Um, and uh, many of our universities have civic engagement or service learning or community-based learning dash internship office. Um, our clubs and organizations are uh, fundraising and doing service work and, you know, around different holidays or different interests. Um, according to your major, you may be um, volunteering to assist with the business development plan or a grant for a nonprofit. Um, so what type of service can a student participate in that is not necessarily about the Instagram photo shot, yeah. but about impacting your, your community and whether it's something you identify with or some the community identifies with. One of our campuses, uh, Humboldt State has this program called Klamath Connection. And in that community is a large Native American population. And there's also a lot of agriculture. And so you have students that come from all around the country, around the world, you know, how do you learn and engage about the needs of that community um, with the population that lives there? Mm -hmm. So you know, maybe you haven't learned, you have, you don't live in a community where there's a very outward facing Native American population. This is a really great opportunity to learn about the community and the resources and the agriculture and, um, you know, the beautiful waters and mountains. Um, you know, I didn't have that where I was growing up. Um, Me either. Grew up in a desert. <laughs> so, you know, how do you connect um, your learning and your engagement and your service and learning about the community? And so I encourage students, whether it's through a service learning class or volunteering with your club or organization or, um, or taking on an internship um, for a nonprofit or a community group that's related to your career and getting that out of the classroom community-based experience. <laughs> Sabrina, if, if people could see this video, they would see me with this Kool-Aid smile. Uh, just, I mean, it can't get any bigger. Um, I'm so very, very happy that you said uh, service. Um, back 
when I was doing my dissertation, I chose the topic of service to see if there was an impact for first year students, um, for those who did service versus those who did not to see if it had an impact on their grade point average and, you know, their rates of going on through college and not dropping out. And I found some positive results. And so I promise I did not see the pot and tell you to mention that, but I'm so glad that you did. They're like, oh, Amelia, yeah, you told her in advance, but no, no, I'm, I'm really excited. So there's so much more we could talk about. I could probably keep you on this conversation for another hour and we would have a great time, but we have to leave our, our fans and listeners wanting more. So I want to wrap the conversation up with a little bit more of a focus going back uh, to what students need specifically and looking to the future. So it's my famous backpack question, and it is to ask you to envision yourself preparing a backpack for a student who's going to start college in the next six months. What's something that you would put in that backpack and why? You know, uh, my family is very committed to education. Um, my my father was raised on the Pemberton plantation. They were sharecroppers in Scotts, Arkansas. And during cotton picking season, most families kept their kids home um, because the more cotton you picked, you know, the more pounds, the more money that you you know you would be paid out for, um, and erase that debt to the plantation owners at the end of the year. But my dad's family, you know, no, education comes first. You, you're going to school. And even other sharecroppers would want to come hire the, the sons. And my, my grandparents said no. So I think about that, that commitment to education that my, my parents and my grandparents had. And so when I start feeling overwhelmed and struggling and challenged and feeling like I can't, I'm not good enough. This is too hard. I want to go home. I can't do this. I think about my grandparents and my father and mother and their sacrifices. So if anything in my backpack is, is, is my grandparents' legacy to the commitment that their sacrifices are part of who I am and what is the key to social mobility and opportunity for myself and my, my siblings, my, my five younger siblings, my family, my neighborhood, my community, my city, my state my nation. So knowing that you're not alone and knowing that the legacy that uh, folks that sacrificed for where we can be who we are and where we're at today is in, in, in my backpack. Um, and, and knowing that you know, it's, it's so much more and I'm not, I do not walk alone. Okay, so Sabrina, every time I ask the question, each time the person answers, the question answer gets better and better and better. And I imagine there being a, a student who's starting college for the first time, thinking about the hopes and dreams and aspirations of their family. And uh, to some, that backpack might feel heavy, but to others, it actually might feel light because they have that type of support. So I think we got to stop it here. We can't go any farther. I think I think we have got to stop with me telling you, I really appreciate you making time for this conversation. Uh, your wealth of experience and knowledge, I know is helping the students in the California state system and also the people listening to this show. So uh, I will put in the show notes links to some of the resources you mentioned, some of the things we discussed, uh, the NASPA undergraduate fellows program, some of the other things. But uh, thank you again so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Purnell. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you doing this because if it wasn't for these conversations, some folks would know where to get started. I agree. Thank you. It's time to ask Dr. P, ask Dr. P, ask Dr. P, get the S's that you need. Today's question is from Amanda in Florida. Amanda writes, Dear Dr. P, how do I find an internship? Amanda, this is a timely question and I have three suggestions to help you. The first one is to contact a professional in the career services office. 
You may have heard that the Career Services Office has resources to help you update your application materials, such as your resume, and professionals there can help you connect to employers who may have internship opportunities available. So it's a good idea to periodically contact the Office of Career Services and let them know that you are still seeking new opportunities. The second tip is to sign up for free listservs and email newsletters from organizations that are in the areas in which you'd like to work. Sometimes professionals who respond to listservs will advertise open positions. Also, some organizations will occasionally advertise new positions in their email newsletter. By subscribing to these resources, you'll be more connected to the opportunities as they become available. My third suggestion is to join a membership organization if you can afford it. Many professional membership organizations in your field or major of study will host virtual or in-person networking events, which can give you an opportunity to meet new people and find out about new opportunities. Some of these organizations have a reduced membership fee for students as a way to help you get connected. I hope these three suggestions will help you find your next opportunity, and I wish you the best in your search. If you're listening to this show and you have a question about college, you can write me at amelia at speakingofcollege.com, and I'd be glad to answer and maybe feature your question on a future episode. For now, that brings this episode to a close. As you manage all of your college responsibilities, one of the best things you can do is take advantage of as many support services as possible. I hope this episode has convinced you that lots of resources are available. I'll be back with you in Speaking of College again soon. And in the meantime, I hope you have an inspiring day.